Hello, and thank you for joining us on an episode of Why Theory. I am your host, Ryan Engley, joined as always by Todd McGowan. Todd, how are you, buddy? Hi, Ryan. Good to talk to you. Yeah, this is our first, uh, well, this is, you know, this podcast has always had two times the host, and now we have two times the coast. Boom. <laughs> so that's, anyway, yes, this is our first, our first east-west podcast. That's right. That's right. Which, um, it makes sense um, to uh, to talk about for this, our inaugural uh, east-west uh, podcast, um, to talk about Mad Men. Uh, this was a listener request, but it's also a show that uh, you and I have a great deal of affection for. Um, and also, I believe... I don't know that the um, that in the '60s people actually said this, but is it the show that invented the phrase "bicoastal relationship"? I, right, I think it might have. Yeah. It might. It, it might. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. That's right. Don and that's Don and Megan, right? That was yes. when. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. If you put a whole country between two people in a relationship that's falling apart, then like maybe it'll be fine. I it think can it was, heal it. Right. It can heal it. Yeah. <laughs> Except it didn't. But so it that's no. Um, but okay. So this uh, so this episode, um, you know, we have not done a uh, a TV episode in focus before. We've done um, we focused on films in a manner that has no connective thread to them whatsoever, which I'm really really proud of. Um, like the, cause we've done, we've done Blade Runner, um, to be or not to be Christmas movies and, um, us. us. <laughs> I love it. Right. I think that's good. No <laughs> rhyme, nor reason. <laughs> no rhyme, nor reason. We should keep that up. Um, yeah. but, uh, this, so this episode, uh, came by way of listener request, but also, um, not, uh, it, 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 it has a lot of bearing on your work, and this was pointed out by somebody in an interview that you did, correct? Yeah, I think it was an interview on Capitalism and Desire, my book, yeah. Okay, yeah, because you says the what the interviewer said, and correct me, and step in to tell the story correctly if I'm still sure. telling it wrong, but um, the, the person who had read your book and was interviewing you said that you had, was it two heroes? Two heroes, and then she wanted me to guess the two heroes. Okay, and what did you... And so I yeah. guessed first Hegel, and she said, yeah, that's correct. And I had a hard time with the second one. So I said, well, Freud, and then, of course, that can't be right, because... No. Psych, it's the whole book is about psychoanalysis, so mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that'd be too obvious. And then she and I just couldn't guess, and she said it's Don Draper. That's it. Yeah, and I thought that was fascinating. And someone, it's uh, a, a great of reading mine, of you. I think that's a it really is great interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I do. I, I mean, it, you know, I'm not. I'm so. Un, I'm very unlike him in certain ways. Like, <laughs> certainly not as adulterous as him, but um, not as adulterous. I want not to as adulterous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, that that but um. Someone said, I instead of writing Capitalism and Desire, I should have just written a book on Mad Men because mm, that, that show already said all the things that I wanted to say about capitalism. Interesting. But yeah. I think what she and I think maybe that was her point that 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 the book is taking up this critical attitude toward capitalism that Mad Men takes up, mm-hmm. right? And I, I, I certainly think that. I mean, it's clearly a critique of capitalism and the way mm-hmm. that it affects the psyche, but. I have to say, I feel like I always felt like Don Draper was this ethical figure mm-hmm, and that mm-hmm, his mm-hmm. ethical core gets taken over by capitalism and, and directed in a, in, a, in a perverse way by capitalism, but there's still this ethical core to him. And so I, fe- I felt really, when she said that, I felt like, God, that really, you really sort of psychoanalyzed me in a yeah. <laughs> substantial way. Yeah. yeah, That's awesome. No, no, I think that's like... Um, that is 
like like you were seen, right? This is like yeah. the popular. This yeah, is the, yeah, the, the yeah, yeah. Phrase. Because yeah, yeah. I mean, what I like about him, I love this idea, and I think it's a little bit. I wonder what you think about this. A little bit like the ethic in Michael Mann movies, you know, where oh, like um, um, the De Niro character says in Heat, if you can't walk away from everything in thirty seconds flat, then you're too invested in things. And the, this yeah. is his the the kind of ethic that he. He develops, and mm-hmm. that this this recurs in man's films. In Thief, it's there. It's less in Insider, but it's still there. It's in, I think, in Collateral. Um, but but I think that this is like Draper is constantly like he like we, what we don't we learn subsequently in the series is that he's left his own, like Don Draper isn't his real name. He's left right. his very identity mm-hmm. in Korea in order to get home. Mm-hmm. He just abandons who he was and and undergoes a symbolic suicide or symbolic death and becomes someone else becomes Don Draper and he re, that that action returns throughout the series and I, that's what I that's what I really like about him I mean he when they they lose the cigarette account he writes mm-hmm. this diatribe op-ed page, not op-ed I guess he takes out an ad in the New York Times right. against denouncing the evils of cigarettes right <laughs> you know, right, right. It's a, so this constant and he he these kind of gestures like quitting denouncing things there's this great moment at the end of um i think it's at the end of season six i think the episode's called in care of and he's has an ad they're they're doing an ad sequence or an ad pitch with hershey's candy bar mm-hmm. and he t- first tells the story about oh a young boy goes to the shop with his dad his dad tussles his hair buys him a candy bar and then hershey's guys the guy's like, oh, is that you? And Don's like, I, you know, I'm not going to say. And then he's yeah. like, you know what? If it were up to me, we wouldn't sell you any advertising at all. And all the other ad people are getting a little nervous. Yeah. And yep. then he he launches into this account of what how he really was introduced to Hershey bars. That is, he grew up in a whorehouse. The prostitute had him search through the pockets of the Johns while they were having sex. And then he would, if he got enough money, they would buy him a Hershey bar and he would sit alone and eat it. And it was the only moment of true happiness that he knew. And and the Hershey's executives are like, can we get out of here yeah. quickly? Yeah. yeah. And then he loses the account. And then at the end of that season, this was my favorite moment of the series, and maybe we can talk about this. Uh, he takes mm. his kids to the whorehouse. And he says, looks right. them in the eye and he goes, this is where I grew up. And they're like, what the hell is happening? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like, you know, it's really fascinating in that that Hershey's moment. Um, and I'm actually, uh, I'm going to say this and then take a step back and sort of frame okay. what we're going to do in the rest of this episode. Yeah. Um, but in that Hershey's moment, it's like the, um, you know, Slavoj has a, has a book, his least popular book, because it has come out of print, is The Fright of Real Tears, right. uh, you know, on uh, Kozlowski's uh, cinema. And... That moment in Hershey's is like it's like the it is almost like that phrase. It's like it's like this is the fright of of Don Draper really being who he is. It's right. the, the like right. the 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 first. I don't know. Maybe I don't want to say it's the first moment, but it's a very public moment for Don to bear uh, in f- front of a people who he is and where he comes. Like this is my origin. Even to us as the audience, like we think right. we know his origin. You yeah, know. I'm. I'm tempted to say I don't think many people ever do th- something like that ever in their whole life. Like this, like complete laying your laying. Like what is he laying bare? He's laying bare his castration, just yeah. in the most open kind of way to yeah. his kids who look. I mean, I don't know how much they look up to him, but they're still his kids, and he is. He does function as a kind of authority to them, and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and to just expose his castration like that is just really. 
I think it's really remarkable. And again, I don't think many people ever do that to anyone. Right. I think they always hold up something in reserve mm. as a way to kind of keep that, keep yeah. that, you know, some and kind well, of illusion. And in the moment where you might do that, I mean, I think the show stages it perfectly. It's like other people would want to get out like they because because right. it makes them aware of their own, whatever it is. You know, right. Like, Exa- like, no, it's such a good point, Ryan, that that other people will not let you do that. And to the yeah. fact that it's his kids, mm-hmm. they, they're in cer- certain sense, they're constrained to have to see that. Yeah, in the car, right? Like, it, And that's the difference between, like, in the ad room, people can leave, but in the car, like, you can't, it's your, right. your father's driving, right. like, what, what are you going to do? Like, you, you right. know, you, I mean, yeah, yeah. and one of his kids even says, I don't think this is such a great neighbor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. And so they're, they're out of the car and they can't, they can't run anywhere. They couldn't no. get back in the car. They just have to sit there. And so that's really, I think you're right. Like in the yeah. cauldron of, yeah. of, of castration, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think, I think it's just such an amazing moment. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's not clear to me that the, I mean, clearly, I guess he had to have some idea of this, that idea about Don, but it's not clear to me how much Matt Weiner himself is aware of that like it's all i'm tempted to say the character kind of gets out of his hands at certain points in the series and this would be one of those points i love that we're talking about castration and you called him wiener and not whiner i think that's really really great is whiner the how you pronounce it i don't know i think that he would probably want you to do it but let Uh, we're gonna do wiener for the entire episode it's like it's perfect (laughs) wiener is good you know more than me i'm sorry i thought it was matt wiener i'm sorry no it's it's good so okay so in this so in this episode uh we're gonna talk uh, sort of generally about the series and you know we've already started to talk about don as a as an ethical figure i I think it it makes sense to pull back and talk about i know we've done of course episodes on the you know the ethical position of psychoanalysis but i think um it'll make sense to kind of tease out what that means and then how it plays out in the series and then we're talking about larger larger ideas that the show brings up and their sort of psych- psychoanalytic or theoretical valence um yeah. and then there is an in focus sort of episode we're going to talk about uh season yeah. four is the suitcase and we're going to be uh firmly in uh my wheelhouse of television studies uh and uh, n- narrative and um constraint which is what how we're going to talk about that right, episode, but right. we'll, 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 we'll get there. Um, so, okay. Don uh, and Peggy, I know you want to talk about, about Peggy. Yeah. Too. Don yeah. and Peggy as ethical figures. I think that, um, one of the great recent, uh, I maybe it's going back away. No, not, it's not going back a ways, but I think it still qualifies as recent, uh, films to stage an ethical, uh, figure is, uh, no country for old men. Yeah, uh, and uh, the like the you know the figure of uh, Anton Chigurh is like I love this this moment at the end of the movie when um, uh, Llewellyn's uh, wife, what is her name? Do you remember? Oh, I don't remember. Uh, yeah. Is she is um, he's gonna kill her? Anton he's Chigurh. Kill her. He's right. just he's gonna kill her, and she tells she tells him is uh, that. You don't have to do this. You don't and, have to, right? And he gets like a little. He's like everybody s- always says that. They yeah. always say you don't. And w- what you have to take from so like that this this film is um, a lot of people like this is a, this is a, a very popular film studies movie because the um, the hero as sometimes it's caused and the villain never appear in the same frame because right. they occupy ideological territory that is incompatible. Right. And so the they the only time that they are near 
is uh, there's a door that separates them and a Tommy Lee Jones's character whose name I'm also forgetting. Uh, it is like touching this void that's left in the door yeah. that um, Anton Chigurh character in No Country for Old Men uses like a, uh, a, a, a device that, kills cattle it's like a like yeah it's an like, air, an air, like an air, air yeah an air, air gun of some sort yeah. of some sort and and he's been throughout the movie used it to blow out holes and doors like to gain access and to kill people to blow out right. holes in people's heads and right. what uh tommy lee jones is touching this this hole this like this void and there's this really really beautiful shot of this and you can see like the dust and it makes it clear that it's it's not a hole it's a it's an absence and it, and it's, it's a, a, an absence where Tommy Lee Jones expected to find presence and it, right. and it terrifies him and he doesn't go indirectly and he doesn't get killed. And the two, the two figures don't meet. They never conf- yeah. They never meet because yeah. Shigura also escapes through like, um, air ducts or whatever, again, escaping into a void. And it's this, like the, the, the terror for um, for Tommy Lee Jones of this like this void this void of subjectivity this like purely ethical subjectivity is like one of the uh, interesting theoretical points that the film is making, and how Chigurh operates as uh, an ethical figure is that he's just this point at which like um, a code kind of flows through him. Right. He doesn't like you don't you don't have to do this is this like implication that there's a choice and he has no choice in the matter of how he acts. And that's how he maintains this sort of like perfect ethical position. And right. Uh, right. Yeah. No. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah, so, that's right. That's right. So it's very much like this. He doesn't. I think a lot of people who thought about it in psychoanalytic terms thought about him as someone who never gave ground relative to his desire, right? Yes. Like that, was yeah. the, that was the main way of thinking about him. Or this figure of pure drive, because sure. he's yeah. never, just like you said, he never wavers. When the woman introduces this, you could not do it. That's just pure, he just said, that's just incomprehensible to no, him. No, it's not a, that's yeah, not it's do it. not an option. So this, this complete, you know, I think it's nice, this complete lack of symbolic identity or this willingness to put your symbolic identity aside. And in his case, it's for total evil. Yes, yeah. But mm-hmm. in the case of Dawn, I think what's interesting is it's not, it's usually, it, it's, I mean, it may be evil in the sense that it becomes recuperated for capitalism and in a mm-hmm. couple times it is. But they're also, it's also the vehicle for him to make these breaks from the logic that governs everyone else in the advertising agency. Right, and right. Peggy too, you know, there's this one episode, I think it's called The Other Woman. Yes. Where, mm-hmm. I don't know if you remember it, but where um, it's the one where Peggy leaves the the first time she leaves the agency. Yeah, yeah. And Joan, who's another character on the, on the series, gets one of the people they want to advertise with, I think it's Jaguar, prost- they want to have, have oh, yeah. sex with Joan, the, the head of Jaguar wants to have sex with her as a... Mm-hmm. As a, in exchange for the account, right, and right. and all the other heads of the of the agency are okay with it, except Don, who's yeah. like, that's just it's just completely unacceptable. And mm-hmm. so it's interesting that and that that coincides with the episode where Peggy just decides to she says I've had enough and she leaves. And even when Don says I'll give you you know name how much more money you want, and she's like that that, that means nothing to me. And then this yeah. episode ends with her going to the elevator to go down. I think it's interesting that there are these key moments in the series where obviously the 
the beginning of the series is about a man falling down yeah. outside an office building, but it's mm-hmm, about the mm-hmm. elevator going down. That episode uh, at the end of season six we talked about is that we see Don when he get. I think he's going down in the elevator right before that. So that going down in the mm-hmm. elevator is a key metaphor well, for this. And going series. up going up, like if you remember when uh the the origin of Don meeting Roger, and it's entirely possible. So Don just tells Roger that he offered him a job. We never see this on screen. And it, right. to me, I think whether it's it's there are two readings, which is that Roger totally did it and he shouldn't have because he was drunk, or it just it never happened at all, which is a far more interesting Right. Uh, reading is right. that it, right. it never happened at all, and Don just took it as an opportunity, and this is how he got into the ad business. But you yeah. nailed the you nailed the segue from uh, No Country to uh, Mad Men. This is what I what I wanted to get at is this idea of symbolic identity, and 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 um, like you, I know you you wrote about this with Don. Uh, this was the season five where he stops writing ad copy. Yeah, and this um, is one of these ethical moments. For Don, like his the the entirety of his symbolic consistency is wrapped up in him nailing pitches. Like this is how it begins, right? With this, like uh, with with um, Lucky Strike. It's right, toasted. Lucky Strike, and then the famous one is the Carousel, right? The like carousel. he invents the term the Carousel as this incredible nostalgic fantasy mm-hmm. for, for Kodak. Kodak. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and that's his whole thing. And like, and it would be a lesser show would just have would just have everyone um, get into trouble and then Don would come in with a perfect pitch you never saw coming. And it's right. to the show's credit that like it resists that at, almost at every turn. Uh, and and the way that um, after I think the first season, which establishes that like, okay, yeah, Don can do this. He's this creative force or whatever. Um, that um, the creativity almost becomes a trap. Like maybe I think be, so. Yeah, yeah you I maybe, think so, maybe that he has to try to break from. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, it's interesting that there's so many great points at which, like, first of all, the the like what ad what advertising means is mm-hmm. an interesting question. Like, is advertising just for the show a synecdoche for the larger logic of capitalism itself? Like, I think that's mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. that seems like to me the temptation of a mm. reading of the show to say like, look, it's really just giving us a diagnosis because like the advertiser is the, is the barest, like they're constantly finding ways to make new commodities to make yeah. it, to suck us into new commodities. Right. But mm-hmm. isn't there another way to read advertising as, okay, of course that's operative, but it's also, what does the advertiser have to do? Like they mm-hmm. have to read our desire. Like yeah. that's what they're con- oh, nice. like, isn't that what Don is? Mm-hmm. That's what he's best at is at reading our desire. And so I think the whole, that's what, I mean, that's another part of it. I'm alluding to Joan Coffey's book yeah, by the name, yeah. the same title, read my desire. Um, that I think that that, that that's part of what the appeal is too, that there's this constant, that what makes Don interesting is he's constantly reading our desire and not being satisfied with what he discovers right like he's never it's never like i find oh i've i finally successfully solved the desire of the other no there like there's no solution for him which i think is i think that's part of what makes it interesting so it's on the one hand this critique of the logic of capital's like accumulation and the the way that it brings in everything through Mm -hmm. advertising Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. then the other hand this analysis of the way advertising is is so intimately concerned with the desire of the other 
Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's absolutely right. And, and the, I think as the show progresses, um, like Don begins with, um, a perfect in the, I think in the, in a surface advertising sense of what the desire of the other is and like, and everything's fine and perfect. And as this, as the series moves on, I I think you're right to say like, he becomes confronted with that. I I know nothing like, like, like I, like I, I can't, I I don't know what the, like, what is the, what, what, what object am I for the other starts is, it starts, I maybe be be the question that, that, that he uh, is, operating under and i think that's um you know it's because that's what makes it more interesting than it's like oh he was a great ad man but then he got the yips and he can't make good copy anymore like that's not it like it's not like he forgot how to how to do over the course of the series he forgot how to do pitches and he forgot what people would want it's that he understands more um I'm going to make a point. I'm going to make a very side. You're not going to expect this. You might think it's okay, the Simpsons, good. but it's not. Good. But um, as, as he, as he understands more, like his ability to function um, in the symbolic space of the ad world, uh, it's like, is totally under threat and he, right, and he can't right. do it. It's okay. The, the great example that's just occurred to me. Um, Raymond Carver's uh, what we talk about when we talk about love uh, is yeah. I think, uh, <clears throat> Excuse me. There's some there's some really great stuff that happens in that short story. Like like um, uh, and in fact, it's a very similar to the episode we're going to talk about in that it is um, I think a, a model of like literary constraint. It's four right. characters talking in one room over like a largely unbroken amount of time. They begin. There's like very little like Hemingway. There's very little description, but the description that's there is very important. They begin in the the light and then they end in the dark, and so it might seem like you know the they're uh, they're they're talking about love like oh it ends with them in the dark about love but actually what happens in that story is that the character is open with like broad claims about absolute love and then like other characters try to counter with like particular like oh you can't really comment on love unless you're in a particular person's shoes and as as the story goes on like the characters are like they learn they they under this is how i would say it, that they understand more about love but no less yeah. and that's why it ends with them in the dark and they're unable to move and i think yeah. like this is what happens with don is that like he understands more about desire as the show goes on but he knows less yeah i love that opposition i think it's so good yeah i think i think it's absolutely right and i think it's interesting too to contrast you know I talked about Don as an ethical figure, but mm. in his personal life, he's pretty terrible. Yeah, right. Right. right like right, it's, right. It, it's interesting that his ethics is is it's the opposite of what we usually. This is one thing right, I the, love the, about the, the show. Popular, yeah, a popular yeah. kind of ethics. Right. The like, popular yeah, kind of yeah. ethics is you're ethical at home, but then you're a ruthless uh, business person at the office, right? And right, he, right. Right. He's the opposite. Like he's mm-hmm, ethical mm-hmm. at the office, and then at home he treats everyone <laughs> just terribly. Yeah. Yep. So I think that's yeah. kind of nice too. And, and then I, you you mentioned this before, and I think that, but I love this idea that that as you get to understand more, it take there's a way. And I think this is it's funny. I've been thinking about this before that this week a little bit that that our model of knowledge is one of you, you like to, it's it's a kind of epistemological violence, or mm. you you know you're taking more, you're like bringing in more, you're 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 appropriating more. Mm-hmm. And I'm tempted to say, why shouldn't we think of knowledge the opposite? Like knowledge yeah. is this thing that like c- 
cuts into you. Yeah, and it yeah. cuts into you more yeah. and more and more. And I always thought, like um, this critic John Guillory has this notion of cultural capital. I think he takes it takes it over from uh, Pierre Bourdieu, the French mm-hmm. the French theorist, mm-hmm. and he calls this idea of cultural capital as like because I've read a lot because mm-hmm. I all this that I have assume, that I've assimilated a ton of cultural capital and right. and I think I just think that's a terrible way to think of knowledge like I think instead knowledge well, it is operates what actually, along ca- on, on capitalist terms right it, it, it operates along the logic of accumulation is that like like and I actually I think it even uh, operates on like a like a video game thing like you're right, filling right. up a meter and once you fill right. up a meter you you level up or something and I think, right right yeah. Yeah, and I just think that's the wrong way to think. I think instead, knowledge is what cuts into you, yeah. and it makes you almost less able to function. You level down. And, that I think. Yeah, yeah, is, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very good, very good. And so, anyway, I think that's what you identified in the case of Don. What's interesting is I think it's all like that's the thing. That's the thing that bonds Peggy and Don together, right? Like yeah. that's the that's the thing that they share is that they both have that ability to they they as they both of them as they they're both. Are, have a attunement to the desire of the other, mm-hmm. and the more that they know, the almost the less functional they become. Like the less, like it become they they become less able to do it. The more mm. they understand. Um, I want to, I I want to make a turn here to okay. um uh, like like popular critique of the show, and also popular I think psychoanalytic approaches to the show. And I want to yeah. like kind of uh, like I want to. I want to set up the pins to knock them down in the typical academic move, right? Yes. Um, okay. So uh, there is a uh, a prominent. Oh, I'll name him because this is fine. There's a prominent television critic. His name is uh, or ac- television academic critic named Jason Mattel, and he's on record. Uh, I, I guess somewhat famously in TV studies is like he really doesn't like Mad Men. And oh, interesting! Uh, I didn't know that about him. Oh yeah, yeah. Really, he really doesn't like it. And um, he a- actually, I read a. Um, we don't have time to go into like. Um, to set up, I, I don't know how interesting it would be for listeners anyway, but like, uh, I don't have the time to set up like Mattel's entire like um, uh, approach to His television beef, yeah, right, poetics, right. Uh, which comes yeah. from uh, Boardwell and the, like a Wisconsin school of, of looking at yeah. things. But um, he, he, he got, I, I read a really interesting book review of, um, of his, uh, his big book is a complex TV where he kind of lays out his like, his approach to, to TV. And so, um, Mad Men doesn't get like included in this. And like the reviewer, I forget who this was, like, like raised like a really interesting point about like, so what gets to be considered complex TV then? Is it just stuff you like? And if it's just stuff you like, then how, like, how can you argue that it's, like it's truly this like sort of like universal lens by which to like appreciate like the narrative of television. Anyway, I thought right. that was kind of, kind of an interesting retort. Yeah, interesting. Could, yeah. You don't normally, cause you don't normally see that it like, um, um, book reviews aren't normally like they don't, that doesn't normally happen in academia, no. I guess. No. Um, but so, um, his, uh, but his main beef is just that when he watches the show, I think, I, I think I'm quoting him or paraphrasing him, uh, accurately enough, uh, and, uh, <laughs> being fair enough. When he watches the show, he says he's he feels like that he's spending time in like a gross, greasy, smoky room with people he doesn't want to be with, and oh. like he doesn't he doesn't want to watch the show for that reason. And I think that this is in the popular strain of criticism against the show is that like it is it delights in the worst of male and masculine behavior, right. um, and and uh, racist, sexist 
you know, uh, a, a behavior um, as well. And so I it allows us to gain our jouissance from this while in the guise of we can have have critical distance from it. So that's yes, the critique. I, so that's the critique. Yeah, that's a critique. And that's the second way. That, that's I've, I've heard that um, at there was a. Someone said that to me at a, a conference I was at. I forget which one. It was. It was. It was always a while ago. Someone said that to me at um, uh, that 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 was about what they thought was the psychoanalytic yeah. thing to it. And I and I'm gonna suggest that it's it's actually something else. It's got to dovetail with this other thing where I okay, think good. that if so, one thing that I think is imperative is that when you are a period show, like if if you are a period drama or whatever, right. um, you your um inquiry into the past should always be telling you something about the present. Like right. we're talking about the sixties, right. but like we're actually talking about 2010. Okay. Right. Like, and, and, and so I think, so this would sort of be my, my answer to Jason Mattel, which is like, yes, like it, it is gross. It, it like, it, 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 it is disgusting. It, it, but it's not that you get to sit down and then enjoy, uh, sexism like because and you get to have the distance from it right like as you as you laid out what right. the problem is and this is what I think the show designates is that that the by putting the show and I don't know how conscious the show is of this but it doesn't matter by putting the show in the 60s and and, and highlighting and showing all these uh behaviors it allows you to think well these are just problems of the past and what where the jouissance comes in is that you get to uh disavow that that is a contemporary problem Right. And so by... Well, isn't that, but isn't that the psychoanalytic critique of the show? I thought you were going to be critical of that critique. Well, no, 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 because no, no, I think, no, excuse me. No, where I, I, uh, I think the, the, the critique that I've, that, that I've heard is that it, it allows you to enjoy the thing with the, with the distance. Whereas like, like you're enjoying the show and and you're enjoying the sexism on the show. Whereas what I'm saying is it allows you to enjoy the sexism of the moment of 2010 not of the show. Oh. That's it, does I'm, it expose that to you? Do you think? I so that's what I I, I think the, I think the show is I, to to me and I think the show is commenting on it. Like I think you know like how how does uh, Sterling Cooper get their first African American employee? It's through a joke. It's right. through a joke ad to to for for um that they're looking for someone like a like a like a black member to come join the team. Right. And I to me I think that this is. Um, like, I, I, I just think it's a really, really nice comment that we love to tell a moral story of progress. And I think that what sort of Mad Men highlights is that it, that's, that's a, you know, post facto, like recuperating of the, of, of the story when actually it's the, it's, it's accidents like, you know, Don's cancer, like, like, like is, is anti cigarette. Um, right. butter. Like, like it's, it's, he didn't arrive. That wasn't a moral moment from him for him. It was, right. uh, it, it was, it was, it, it came through another process. And that's, and I, I think that this is what the show is, is, is doing. I think is what makes it interesting is that like, there, there are stories that we like, there are stories that we like to tell about progress. And I think that the show is a, is a challenge to it because I, I, to, to me, I take it as highlighting the, like the show isn't that you get to sit down for an hour and enjoy people in the sixties pinching the butts of secu- uh, you know, secretaries is you get to enjoy that that happens not so openly now and right, you get, you right. get to ignore it. That's what I, that's what right, I, what right, I right, right. I think, I think that's really good. I think that the show, and maybe this is why Jason was, is uncomfortable 
made uncomfortable by it because it it has the effect of making you feel proximate to this yeah. yes. time that you want to otherwise think is far away. I tell you the moment that really got to me in that way was, yeah. and this just shows where my Jewy sounds lies, I guess. But <laughs> it's this one where they're they're out picnicking, Oh, and yeah, they're yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. and and they 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 have a blanket down, and then they're getting ready to go. And Don takes the blanket up and just shakes all the dirt off. And then he yeah. takes his beer can, chucks yep. it into the woods, and yeah. and I was I just I thought, wow, you would never even see that on time. I mean, they just it, it's like yeah. it was it seemed pornographic to me. Uh, yeah, 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 right. This right. like lack. I mean, like not only did he not recycle the thing, he just like <laughs> tossed it aside. And I just, you know, it reminded me when I was a kid and you would see people all the time just driving down the road and just, you know, they'd have a McDonald's bag and they'd just throw it out the window of their car, you know, yeah. and that, and like that is a, and I think what the show makes clear is that's a way of enjoying. Mm-hmm. But then what's interesting is in that case, of course, you feel the distance from it. But I feel like by highlighting the fact that you enjoy it, it makes yeah. you feel like then you feel like, oh my gosh, I'm inculpated in that. Yeah. Uh, you know, in that in that form of enjoyment that that seems to be something that we've totally left behind, right? Like um, yeah. we would never throw out the bags out onto the ground or you know or it, toss the beer can. That moment is so big that it 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 um it raises because this is this is always the problem. Like I mean, this may be a bit of a side tangent, but like that moment is so big where it's just a, a huge picnic blanket of food and trash, and it's completely emptied onto the yeah. earth. And it is so big and so brazen. It goes beyond littering. Like I, like when I drove, when I drove across the country to get my cat here, I saw in Missouri, I saw a a woman who bought something at a gas station. It had a wrapper and she was at a light for like a little bit and she just like tossed it out of her car. And I was, was, oh yeah, I was shocked. I've never seen that in 30 years. (laughs) There's loving it in Missouri. So yeah, but, but, um, but so that that's littering, right? That's the individual act. What happened on, on, on Mad Men, that moment, that's pollution. And I think that's the, that, that's, this is always this thing where, um, you know, in like the don't mess with Texas campaign, this was like, (laughs) this was like, and then, and then, oh yeah. Then people had pride about like, yeah, we keep our state clean. And it's like, so yeah, you focus on yourself so that the corporations can pollute all they want. Like, you know, like that, 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 that ends up being sort of like the way that that plays out ideologically is like, you focus on you, you focus on littering and don't think about pollution. And that moment is like the, like the, the littering is so big. You need another word for it. Like you can't just know, say, yeah. you can't just no, say they littered. Like it's, it's, it's right. beyond that. So right. it makes I mean, you aware of the larger thing, I think, which, which is, uh, I think politically potent. Yeah. You know, I agree totally. I mean, especially, t- I mean, today, like the word for it is recycling, right? Like you mm-hmm. think about your individual effort and then you forget about the, like your individual effort is meaningless. And I, I, I was just noticing, you know, that more and more countries are refusing our, our, our um, trash? Our, no, not just our trash, but our recycled material mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. so that it has to turn around. So it, it might be the case that when you go up to the different bins, that throwing the plastic bottle in the garbage actually does less environmental damage than <laughs> putting it in the – like because if you count the time, you know, the time the, the barge has to go across and that yeah. all that pollution. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. in a way – and I don't think it's clear – that it's that it's that you're actually doing more good recycling rather than just throwing purely throwing away. So it's that we live in such a you know it's fascinating time because 
unless that's addressed, unless the plastic production is addressed on a larger scale, like recycling is nothing. Like that's a, like even if everyone recycles, it's not enough to, to offset what the problem is. So, so, you and know, that Mad Men it, of Mo- I think that ma- that moment in Mad Men like brings that into into focus. Like, what it you- really <laughs> does, yeah. yeah, yeah. Because because I think what we don't, I think what you know, this this mania for recycling, I think it's a way of forgetting the enjoyment that comes from just throwing away. You know, mm-hmm. like just and like being done just, with it, right? Throw away, be done with it, toss it aside, throw mm-hmm. it out, and and also spoiling the earth. Like there's a like until we see that there's an enjoyment in that, then we're, how do you counter it? Right? Like you can't. Yeah. Yeah. This is the point we come back to all all the time. I I think it's a, I think it's a worthwhile one, which is that like the, there has to be an enjoyment in, in like in a, in a properly, um, I'm going to avoid progressive. I'm going to say transgressive. How's that? I'm going to say, yeah, proper, that's good. A, I like that better. Baby steps. Baby steps. Yeah. Okay. I want to say one more thing. This is very good. Oh, I no. Well, one, I, need to, I need to finish the, the Okay. You finish in, your point. In a, in a properly transgressive politics of the left, like there needs to be enjoyment. We, we yes. you, have, yeah. you have to think left enjoyment. That's the, yeah, yeah no, a, I, I love that formulation actually. Yeah. Properly. Yeah. Although, I like transgressive better than progressive, but right. it does have a kind of hysterical. I no, I see. The, I see the point. I, yeah, yeah. I, I, I see. The I don't point. mean to always. I mean, I'm playing the constant. Is I'm never satisfied with our <laughs> political funny. program. Yeah, yeah. but I know I, I want to just come to one final sure. before we get to our bottle episode that we want to talk about. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I want to talk about this episode in season five called Commissions and Fees. So it's right. Okay. I think it's the penultimate episode, and it's the one where. So Don is. He's like dissatisfied, just like we've been talking about with all of these, you know, pitches. He's doing a great job, but it's, you know, in the end, it's just rep- repetition of the same thing. And he's, he's, he's finding something unsatisfying. So he gets Roger to, to allow him to pitch to Dow Chemical, mm-hmm. who is mm-hmm. like this big, like the, it's like a, the white whale, I guess, for him. Yeah. And then he says to them, this is great lines. He says to them, he says, so he starts the thing. He's like, you don't want most of it. You want all of it. And I won't stop till you get all of it. So this is how he sets it up. And then he says to them, he's like, what the whole key to, to your product is happiness. And then he says, what is happiness? It's a moment before you need more happiness. <laughs> and I just thought that's like, it just shows he really has gotten this, like the truth that advertising lays bare when he yeah, says that. That's very, very nice. Yeah, no, I, I oh, man, I think that it's, um, it's so, I think it's like, I mean, it's, it makes sense to talk. I mean, we could talk about like other episodes. We could have a series where we talk, where we, where we talked about mem and be, like, and specific episodes and looked at little points. We're going to do this in a, in a little bit, but I think that, um, it's so rich to talk about in this theoretical way. That is not just a, um, a application of a popular understanding of psychoanalysis, right? Like that's, like, right. I think it's, I think there's a lot, there's actually quite a lot of that out there. Like, um, we could, you know, Oh, Oh, how easy would it be to talk about Don's Oedipal complex? Right. right. And, right. and you know, right. you know, and, 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 and I, and I'm, and I'm sure that, that there, 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 there's interesting insights to, to be, you know, pulled out there, but I think it's more, I don't know. I, uh, maybe it's selfish. I prefer what we're doing, which is the, well, you know, the, the, this, this, this like ethical, um, uh, piece to it. And to, and, and looking at jouissance as not like enjoying the, 
enjoying the the sexism that you see on screen, but using but but the, the sexism you see on screen, uh, and you 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 know uh, you know kind-hearted liberal person you disavow that but right. then you don't see that in your in your everyday life that's the that's the that's that's where your point is jouissance i think that's more i, I think it's it's more interesting to approach it like, right like well it's, way, yeah. i agree i mean i think it's about the way that the form like i think i think it's not ever interesting to psychoanalyze characters right because mm-hmm. but it's interesting to talk about the way the form interacts with the spectator and how it structures the spectator, how it interacts mm. and structures the spectator. And I think that's what's great about the show, really. And I think it, because just like you said, I think it forces you into these positions of enjoyment that you are you find yeah. in, uncomfortable. Like yeah. you don't want to yeah. avow that kind of enjoyment in you. And, in the, and I think the show forces you into that. And I think this idea, and I think it really exposes the, the emptiness of the notion of happiness, just mm. like that, what Don says in that yeah. line to the Dow Chemical Executive, but that's, a, I mean, in a way, that explodes the entire project of advertising because yeah. advertising is, and that's the carousel is about that too, about the, you know, like I'm going to sell you an image of happiness. And right. what he's saying is that every image of happiness is is always evanescent and it's mm-hmm. never going to be, you know, that happiness is always an, you know, I think basically saying happiness is always an ideological category. And I think yeah. that's, that's a really key insight of the show. Mm, I think that that's why, I mean, we've, we've, um, ha- hammered this notion in other, uh, podcasts, but like, I, I, I think that's another way of seeing how, um, live for the moment is ideological. Yeah. Is like, is yeah. don't, don't think about the next happiness. Like don't, don't, don't ever think about it. Like right. think think about this one, you know. Like and and like you know. I just I, I even f- felt my voice being like a commercial at that. Like no, like, it was. You, you know, could you could maybe go if you get, if your job at Pomona falls through. Doesn't work out. Yeah, I'll, <laughs> just, I'll just post up. I'll just post up some office out of L.A. and I'll just start talking. And then think about yeah. this happiness. You know. Well, you know, right it's like it's like Mr. Keating in Dead Poets Society, right? Like he's right. an incredibly oppressive figure because. He's like seize the day, seize yeah. the day. This happiness, you know. Yeah. And the yeah. only way to escape him is to kill yourself. Like it's funny. I think the proper reading of that. I like the movie actually. <laughs> the, the proper reading yeah. is that Neil kills himself to escape the Robin, Mister Keating, the Robin Williams figure, not to escape his father. Right. Mm, oh, Captain, my Captain. That is a yeah. saucy reading. I like that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So you used a phrase about four minutes ago. You said bottle episode. I that's did what, say that, right? You said I dropped that phrase, which you is dro- your phrase. That's so. my. Well, it's not my phrase. It's well. I mean, it's it's. Uh, well, it's, someday I will. I'll write the, the the theoretical paper on the bottle episode because there is not that much. So this is one thing that's a little bit interesting. Um, I will. Exp- so I'm going to explain the term first, and and because yeah. you know what we do sometimes, like, and I, um, I li- I like I like this because I think that when I um, because when I when I learn like when I'm reading like theoretical texts is that. Like someone will like will they'll take an argument to like a certain point and then they'll pull back and then they'll like actually explain some of the terms that they use and like that that's kind of a model for how I learn. But I think um, rather than doing that for this, I'm going to explain the term first and then we'll talk about it. So yep. um, if the this phrase is new to you, um, perk up uh, your ears. If it's not, then um, then this would be a perfect time to vacuum uh, for the next like two or three minutes. <laughs> as you're listening to the podcast. So um, a bottle episode uh, is, to me, one of um, television's unique forms. Um, 
it's this is a phrase that uh, designates um, a production reality of TV in an earlier era, but we still use it because the um, form to pull us back to what we were just talking about, the form uh, now exceeds its uh, uh, the initial circumstances of its uh, creation of, uh, of necessity. So, okay. so a bottle episode occurs on TV when uh, you run out of money. So it used to be, um, I think t- TV shows are, are funded like more evenly now and there's more money available. Like I, I have no idea how much Game of Thrones episodes cost per right. episode, but it's like... Whatever they wanted. Whatever they wanted, yeah. I mean, like, I think in the first season it was like they were over two mil, excuse me, two million an episode. Wow. And by the end of this show, it was like you're talking like four, or eight, like just like an incredible amounts of money. And so, but in the 50s and 60s, um, you had uh, more money available for a premiere or for a finale or for a sweeps week episode, which is a time of the year that American television has made up. Uh, that they imagine people to be home and watching TV. And like, if you ever like so, so much of, um, so much of like TV, uh, television convention on the production side, like really, it comes from just like a lot of assumptions that people made that they just kept doing. And like, no one can like one of the things that kept, um, serial television moving into primetime for so long was that people believe that you lost 40% of your audience from one week to the next. Wow. Jason Mattel writes about this. It's like really interesting in complex yeah, TV. Interesting. Yeah. Is that like this was an? I'm pretty sure it's forty percent, but the, but this number is like has no basis in fact, but just people just believed it, and so then so this is so why they thought the audience was as episodic as the shows themselves had to be. Exactly. Then that yeah. like that was that was, and they just did it, and then like you know. Uh, a TV series like Soap and then Hill Street Blues comes along and like, like with big ratings and, and or enough ratings to be like, oh, people do pay attention and they can like watch a show like like over multiple weeks. It's just like a lot of, of a lot of production reality in TV and film actually comes from, a, 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 I think, a, a huge degree of condescension that like, well, this audience won't want this. So we'll just right. do this base stupid thing. And then it makes it seem like everybody's stupid. Uh, and anyway, and then that goes on forever. Like, like just again, sideways point. I like, it kills me when like Democrats and Republicans talk about like coal country in America. Like I've said this before, like these people eat coal and they're animals and they're not just like everybody else. Uh, and like they need, yeah. they, they need to have special appeals designed to them and it's based on the coal thing, which is just to me again, it's condescending and it means you don't have to come up with like new ideas or, or whatever, which you see in TV. So, okay. Let's go back to the bottle episode thing. Uh, so you have more money available at a premiere and a finale and a sweeps week episode, which meant that at certain points, your funding would become bottlenecked in inverted okay. commas. Okay. All right. Mm-hmm. So that's the first thing. So when it became bottleneck, when you didn't have a lot of money, what you uh, would have to do is you'd have to turn around an episode in uh, a sh- short order with uh, probably just the main cast, probably just right. one set maybe just the main set or just like a few uh you're not doing a lot of extreme costuming you're just you got to keep it very simple and so um the these uh so the, the shows that this um like really famously uh affected uh but in but artistically uh, one example is like is is outer limits 
like some uh-huh. people, some people credit um, the outer limits as like as in the creator, like as coining the term bottle episode. Uh, there's also some people talk. They they go they look to Star Trek like quite famously. I think it's in '67 is when the Balance of Terror. Uh, oh yeah, comes, comes yeah. out and and that's considered a bottle episode because they don't they don't they leave, never leave the ship. They never leave the ship. They never leave, and I think more specifically the 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 deck like they're there. Mostly. They're on the bridge almost. They're the on whole the bridge. Time. Yeah, yeah. So. Not again, exactly the whole time because there's a wedding and right. Kirk's performing the wedding in a chapel, but it's basically the bridge is the main setting. Right, right, and so that's the that's the thing that like a bottle. I think some people like you'll see this sometimes in some places like TV tropes where where you you maybe get some people who say that like a bottle episode has to be one location, and I don't. Right. I don't. So you don't think it's as strict as that? No, because one of the best episodes of Sopranos is the Pine Barrens, and that's they're in the woods. And it's totally a bottle episode, but it's just what's amazing about that is that they're they're constrained by infinite space. It's fascinating, Um, you know. So it's 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 almost like it's like in um, it's like in um, Lady from Shanghai and the 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 Funhouse Mirror when you see the infinite Orson Welles, but like this infinity is totally constraining in that right, moment. Right, you know? I love this idea of the, of the, of the fecundity of the constraint, right? Like that's, I yeah. mean, that's what is interesting about the bottle episode theoretically. Right? Yeah. Right. Well, this is, this is, this is, this is my thing. So like, okay. So some people say that, the, uh, some people say that's like a Fox news phrase. Some critics, uh, will go to, um, uh, Star Trek, the next generation, there's an episode called a ship in a bottle. And like, this is where we get the, this is how we know the phrase, but I, I I'm going to need to do like a, like another genealogy of this because today everybody calls these episodes that are like in largely one location that they only have the, the main cast. There's not a lot of, there's not like guest stars. There's not, it's, it's, um, it's focused highly on dialogue and character yeah. interaction because that's what happens when you have this constraint of space um, it means that characters have to talk to each other. And what happens quite often in bottle episodes is they are very, very earnest. I've yet to see, I'm sure that they exist somewhere, but I've yet to really see a, a bottle episode that is not earnest. Like um, e- even on Family Guy, which is a tremendously insincere show, yeah. uh, there's an episode where Brian and Stewie get locked in a bank vault. And again, this is a cartoon, so they don't they don't have the same production reality right. that that shows in the fifties and sixties did. This is why I say like this is now a form that exceeded its earlier circumstances. So people it's not cho- it's not exigent that you make a bottle episode. No, it's, it's people that, choose it's a, to do it. It's a, right, it's an artistic choice. Right. Yeah, you're playing with form. One of the and I, I like I think one of the shows that helped to really bring this into the popular. Um, uh, the phrase in the popular discourse was community. They had episode season two, it's called cooperative calligraphy where the study group never leaves the study room because Annie, one of the characters has lost a pen and they're trying to find it. And one of the characters, Abed, uh, keeps remarking that he wants to leave because this is starting to feel like a bottle episode. And oh, wow. Like, so it's self-consciously. Yeah, it's self-consciously. And I think at that moment, like, I remember, I was like, bottle episode? I don't know about this. And then, like, I looked up online, and then everyone's like, oh, yeah, bottle episode, blah, blah, blah. And it's so interesting. This was maybe, like, 2009, 2010. Um, in TV scholarship, even up to, like, 2002, like, these episodes were more likely to be referred to as meat locker episodes. Like, you know, there's a lot of 60s, 
situation, 50s, 60s situational comedies where characters get like locked in a meat locker, stuck in a meat locker, or yeah. stuck in an elevator, right? Like right. you know, like you can you can think about. So those those would be examples of bottle episodes. What's the what's the the industry term? Is it meat locker episode? I don't. You know what? I don't know. I because now yeah. it's bottle episode. Now everybody. Now, just, so they've taken that on. Yeah, every like yeah, it's it's but except for in the academy, like I, like as far as I know, there's there's like there's one like peer reviewed article about bottle about bottle episodes um, about this guy um, Nancy Nancy Ellie Nancy Ellie, I'm, I'm probably blowing his last name I'm not remembering it but yeah. he 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 draws the, um, the he makes a correlation between uh, the bottle episode of television and um, theater so um, like because that's a in a way that's a constraint of space. Like, you know, yeah. like you, you can, you can start to, to play that out. So anyway, okay. Um, let's, we can bring this. Uh, so just for people listening, popular examples of bottle episodes, uh, the Chinese restaurant episode of Seinfeld, where Seinfeld, the, yeah. which is a, actually a little exceptional because the length of time it takes you to watch the episode is the length of time. These characters are waiting for the restaurant, the table at the restaurant. Uh-huh. So it's like a 24 minute episode in, uh, uncut for TV, uh, and they're waiting 24 minutes for a table and they're very hungry and then they leave. Right. Like, so that's, so that's, so, you know, that, that's what happens in that episode. That's a pretty famous example. Um, uh, anyway, uh, yeah. So, uh, the friends, the, the one where no one's ready is the name of that episode. That's a a pretty famous bottle episode. Um, fly breaking bad. Some people will know this. Um, that's, uh, again, it's a, it even, even with, with um, with the Seinfeld example, that was in the '90s. That was a choice. They wanted to have an episode where they it was in quote real time, and it also right. happened. That was the that was the point of that one. But it was also happened to be a bottle episode. So, okay. so um, this episode that we're going to talk about of um, uh, Mad Men widely like there like this widely thought of as like as a, a a bottle episode is the great bottle episode of uh, of Mad Men uh is the suitcase season season 4 uh episode right. 7 maybe um uh and it's not the case that it's in one location cuz they go out to a bar but what happens in the episode is that um Don gets a call from the west coast and he knows without knowing he knows what the what the the call is that that right. Anna Draper his friend the real Mrs. Draper the real he, Mrs. Draper right. uh you know has has died and he does not want to face he doesn't want to face that he doesn't want to face that call right. so he's horrible <laughs> to Peggy and he prevents her from leaving because they have to work on a Samsonite ad and he's just even though it's her birthday even though it's her birthday, <laughs> a great detail. So that's the other thing about the bottle episode that that you have to be really thoughtful about is characters have to have a reason to leave. Otherwise, the the, the constraint of space means nothing. Right. right. So so they have to feel the the space as a constraint because they desire to get out of it. Exactly. I think yeah. of I think of um, I think of the the uh, the stanza in. Um, uh, Coleridge in, um, oh my God, the, uh, the, um, uh, rhyme of the ancient mariner. Rhyme of the ancient mariner um, yeah. uh, yeah. Uh, that, um, all the water, water everywhere. And all the boards did shrink water, water yeah. everywhere, nor any drop to drink. And I think I love that. And all the boards did shrink. Cause if you're like, you know, you can be in the largest, um, stretch 
Hummer limo, but if you're in it for long enough with the same people, that space will feel very, very tight. Right, right, right. You know, especially if you want to go, you don't want to be there. There's some, there's something that there's something that you are avoiding saying to someone, but you have to keep talking to them. Like you don't want to bring something like you don't want to bring up politics or whatever, but the longer that you talk to someone, it's just going to come up and you're going to blow up. And it's like, that's, what's going to, so yeah. So you have to, so that, um, that space has to, it has to be more than literal. I'll put it that way. Right. So like there, there has to be like, like like emotional stakes tied to it. Right. But what's interesting about, sorry, what's interesting about this episode is that it's that, Though Peggy wants to leave, she also wants to stay, right? Yes. Like the whole isn't that kind of the point that your desire yeah. is always it's always it's always split. It's always split between something compels me to leave, but then maybe something stronger compels me to stay, even against my conscious will. And I think I'd say especially interesting about, especially yeah. against it. Yeah. yeah. Especially against it. Yeah, right. Like the like I think this would be I think the the layman's divide would be like the heart and the head. Right. Your head tells you to leave, but your heart keep right. Like, like right, against, right, against right. your, like, like Peggy, Peggy has to go out to, um, to this dinner for her birthday. And what's going to happen is that her boyfriend is going to ask her to marry him. Right. Like that's what, right. and well, he doesn't because he doesn't. doesn't ever come. Right. No. And it's this really funny thing where like the show kind of, um, like the show basically does cell phones without doing cell phones. <laughs> Right. You know, because he's waiting for her at the table. He has a phone brought to the table to call her at the office. And she says she keeps delaying being there. And then you see that she's not just standing her boyfriend up. It's that he's brought her whole family in right. to to be with them on this momentous occasion when he's as gonna a surprise ask, as a surprise on her birthday. And he's going to ask her to marry. And like this is one of those things where like I, I always like th- this is like a like a lay piece of advice like whenever i find like i see this on facebook where like i don't know somebody i went to high school with proposed to their girlfriend when they graduated from college i just think like that's a profoundly selfish move right you took you took a day that was for that person anyway and you made it about you right like that's what that's what you did right and and because it's not like because it's it's not like oh this is so much happiness let's add more to it it's like just like no you 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 had to put yourself in anyway so this is what happens with her and her boyfriend is that like it becomes really clear that he does not understand her at all well inviting the family is is the proof of that too right 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 and so um the don and peggy keep like um like, that, that, I mean, that's the thing that's so it's one of those things where you have to be like, th- this is a great example of an episode where you have to be really um, invested in the fiction and the right. characters and their relationship because it like it makes me the, there's a moment at the end where like so the, the probably like I don't know if I want to say the climax of the episode, but like a climactic moment is when um, Peggy fun, because of this constraint of space, because of this amount of time that they have to spend in like. Uh, you know, metaphorical captivity with each other. Peggy finally yells at Don to say that he never properly acknowledged her uh, contributions to a, an earlier ad campaign that won a Clio award, like the top award for, for advertising that he didn't thank her. He didn't acknowledge her uh, contributions to glow coat. And what he says is that that's what the money's for. Right. That's this, this, this great, this great interaction that uh, you got paid for it and that she wanted, she wanted thanks. She wanted acknowledgement for him. He says, that's what the money's for. Right. And what's not what she wants. What she wants is 
is recognition. This is what she says consciously. She wants recognition for that campaign, but she doesn't want recognition for that campaign. What she actually wants is like a deeper confirmation of this bond that they have. Right. Together. Right. It's interesting that it's a bond that they have because they didn't sleep together. And th- in this mm-hmm, episode, mm-hmm, it becomes mm-hmm. clear. Like she even says to him, why didn't you ever want to sleep with me? Yeah. And it, yeah. it's, I mean, it, and I think it's, I mean, the clear answer is because he didn't find her attractive, I think, or something. Um, but, but that little contingent thing enables them to actually have this other bond, right? Like right. if they had slept right. together, then there'd be no, no, there'd be nothing between them. Yeah. And there's a really great, so I want to just, I want to camp out on a thing like this too, yeah. is that, so, so Peggy in the first season, again, hopefully people who are listening to this have seen the show or they find it interesting, even if they haven't. But in the, in the first season, um, one of the plot lines, uh, it, it seems as though Peggy's gaining weight, but actually she is uh, pregnant and with, um, another, the, the child of another person in the office, Pete Campbell. And he does not acknowledge does like she, like it's, it's crazy. Like the, 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 the stakes of their relationship are, are interesting too, is that like they, they do not ever recognize, uh, what happened between them. And that's, uh, that's another, that's another, uh, fascinating relationship in the show. I love that point. I mean, I think the contrast between the Peggy Pete relationship and the Don Peggy relationship is really important, right? Like the, yeah. mm-hmm. the fact that they, that Pe- Peggy, where, where Peggy and Pete have sex and then they can't speak to each other and then right. Don and Peggy don't and then they are, are able to speak to it. And in this episode, in this bottle episode, they're not only able to speak to each other, but they're able to have this maybe, I don't know, I think you could argue it's the most intimate moment in the entire series yeah. that two people have together, I think, right? Yeah, it's right when, well, because uh, eventually Peggy sees Don cry because he he gets the news that Anna Draper has died and then, you know, she holds him and uh, and they literally sleep together is the other thing. Right, right. You know, they, they literally <laughs> sleep together without uh, having sex. I right. mean, don't you think it's interesting that he's, his line was amazing. It's the only person who ever knew me just died. Yeah. And then yeah. I think she feels like, I, it, she doesn't say it, but I mm-hmm. almost feel like she's saying back to him. But I now I'm still, I, yeah, I'm, I'm still here. here. Like I yeah. do, I do actually. I have seen your you in a way that no one else has seen you. And right? he totally acknowledges it with the hand hold. Like he hold he, um, he shows her the next morning like an ad that he like the copy he came up with for Samsonite, and uh, and. Peggy is still resistant to it and he's like, Why are you fighting fighting me on this? And she's like, right. Oh no, right. I'm just tired and then and then their their hands are like they're both looking over at this and, and he you know, he gives her hand a squeeze and like and that that's like I mean, that's another like extension of that like really, you know, intimate right. uh moment. The the thing that I wanted to um to 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 bring back is there's a term that's kind of rampant in T V studies, both academically and um in popular uh media, is uh the, the phrase world building. Yeah. And it seems to me It annoys you. It annoys me because it's untheorized. <laughs> and what it what it yeah. is is it's just every time I read someone talk about world building, I'm always like, yeah, oh let's read about world building. Yeah. And it's just like this thing got added to the world. 
Right. And I think that's world adding and that's really uninteresting. What right. I think the phrase is so good, but it should mean things like in this episode, uh, Peggy tells Don that her mom, beca- because Don was the only person that came to see her in the hospital after the pregnancy, Don was the only person that came to see her, that she, uh, uh, her mom thinks that he, he's the father. Right. And there is so much in that line. Like it establishes her mom. It establishes another, like a reason why she doesn't want to be around her mother. Cause her mother doesn't understand this like giant thing that happened to her. And Don right. does. Um, it also like in the exact, in the same moment that, you're like one way to watch the show. Watch one way to watch this episode, and I, I like there's there's again there's room for it if you're not wrapped up in the fiction. Is that it's just a a um, a misogynistic guy controlling of a, a, a female employee who is under him, uh, and he gives her one dollop of kindness, and it makes up for like you know all kinds of rampant abuse before, right. and right. I think that that again, like while available is like it re it, I don't know. It reads against the show in a way that like, it just is kind of recursive. Like it just proves its own idea. Like it doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't really tell you anything about the show. It just like, it's, um, I don't know, maybe in some ways it's the, um, I always think that if you're going to use a a TV example of, of something, it should, it should advance the idea. Like the idea should not be reducible to the example. I absolutely agree with that. Yeah. yeah, Otherwise you should, which is the same thing with world building. Like, like this phrase world building is uh, like, it shouldn't just be like, Oh, the show added something. And that's what world building is. It's that like, it should almost be like a short circuit. The way that like Freud writes about jokes is that like, it should be brief and it should tell you so much like to unpack it takes a little while. Like one of the, uh, one really great example I like in a recent film, a quiet place, uh, which uh, a horror film, um, that the world has been basically ripped asunder from like an alien threat. These, uh, creatures that can, um, that can hear they, 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 but they're blind, but they can hear and they like, mm-hmm. they, they attack violently based on sound. And anyway, you, there's no, like the, the movie doesn't waste any time. Like it just, it puts you in the middle of this world. Right. And so right. if you ask the question, how did, how did we get here? There's, um, there's a moment early in the film where one of the characters played by John Krasinski, like it goes over his desk and his desk is just like a, a hodgepodge of like material from like p- before the world um, ended basically. Right. And in the middle is this, um, I say this on the horror podcast a lot. So if someone listens to the horror podcast, this is like, you'll have heard this for like the fifth time for me, but like there's, there's a, there's a, a letter um, from the U S government and it just says you are on your own now. Oh, period. Wow. And it's, yeah, yeah, but, I remember but, that. I yeah, remember that. yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that is like, that's like, that tells you, that tells you so much. That's like that. There, there was a point in time where the government, the people, like everybody, they were totally united, and and like they tried to fight this threat. And they but were then no they way. couldn't fight it anymore. And the government, the government told everyone, like, this is we're, there's no government anymore. Right. There's, this is gone. It's just you. And like it, like you, like that. You could have done that. That could have taken ten boring minutes of film, but that was like right. one second if you spotted it, and it filled in all of this bit. Like that. And so you think the key, building. you think that key moment in this episode is the moment where you get this revelation about Peggy's mom and Don, like her suspicion that Don is the father because he was the only one to visit her in the hospital. Right? Well, it makes so it, it because too, it. 
to me, it makes Yeah. I'm sorry to interrupt, but like to me, it, it, it makes, it also cuts against the, um, the reading that this is just an abusive male and, right. and, a, and a, and a submissive, uh, like female, like work relation. It's that like, he, like there, Peggy has no doubt that Don cares for her. She has no doubt because of this thing. What she's frustrated with is that it, it, it's not more a part of their like public relationship. Right. That's her frustration is that she like Don has no doubt that Peggy is a person who understands him. Peggy has no doubt that Don really, really cares for her. Her frustration is that like, you know, it's like, why can't like we were friends at summer camp. Why can't be, we, we be friends at school. Right, now, right. You know, like that's, that's, and, and that's actually the stakes of the episode. And that's like more t- to me, I think it's more interesting than gra- again, that totally happens. This like, you know, th- this, this, you know, this male in a position of authority who can never be satisfied and demands. And then he does like one act of kindness and it makes up for like, that's totally a, a, a figure. I think that that like, and it's worth critiquing and talking about. Yeah. But I think to look at this moment and to reduce it to that, you lose uh, the, you lose the narrative thread, you lose the character thread, you lose the stakes. And you, I think in a, uh, a fatal way, misunderstand the, the show, the character, the moment, the episode. Right. I agree. I think you have to be invested in that. Yeah. In their relationship for this, for the, showed for this episode especially to make it's very moving i think and it yeah. wouldn't be moving if if you weren't invested in i also think that the series what it says about it's it's very interesting about feminism i think because i think there is this clear critique of the way women are basically not just oppressed but even prostituted by mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. capitalist structure right like i just talked earlier about the figure of joan who has to who, who actually goes through with it, prostituting herself for the sake of an ad. And I think, um, you know, that's prevalent throughout. But I also think it's interesting, this, this like, the, the kind of feminism it's really wrestling with is this kind that says, is it feminist that women, beca- that we have more women in the top of ad agencies? Yeah. Like, is that, you know, like that kind of, I don't know, for lack of a better word, like representative feminism. Yeah, like, no, no, no. That's that is the that's totally the phrase. It's like, oh, we need more female CEOs, and it's like, no, we need no CEOs. Right, that, exactly. Yeah. And so I think that's it's it, it seems to me interesting that that when we when there are these what I would say feminist moments of the show, the most feminist moments are when they show like when the show makes clear the the way that feminism is irreconcilable to capitalism, not in the mm-hmm. way in which feminism would mean more advancement for women within the capitalist structure. Right. Yeah. Like I think that yeah. seems to me to be a key aspect that, that, that the, the, the representative way of thinking about feminism is shown to be just because, because I mean, one of the things the, the show makes clear is that the women put in those positions don't act differently than the men do. Right. Like, like, I mean, I think the, you know, the, the author of lean in is proof enough that that's true. Like, you know, her work at Facebook is, 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 is not distinguishable from Mark Zuckerberg's work no, on Facebook. No, yeah. it's a, yeah, no, certainly. No, it's a great, I mean, it's a great point that it got, you know, and it goes back to the bell hooks line that I, that I, you know, that I, they quote all the time. You about, love that line. Yeah. I love yeah. that line. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Yeah. Feminism has to be like, it's, it's, it's anti-racist, anti-white supremacy. It's anti-capitalist. Like that's, yeah. you know, like that's, that's what, that's what, um, what, what feminism means. And I think that, um, 
what you identified as another moment, like going back to, to, to like my point earlier about like where the jouissance is, is that like the show to me is telling you like, Hey, this is how it is. This is how it is right now. This isn't 1960. This right, is 20 right, freaking 15. Right. And that like the, 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 the is like, Oh wow. How, how far we have advanced. <laughs> like we were so beyond this. Like that's the, that's what that's to me is that it, it is in not reconciling, uh, to bring us back to another episode, not reconciling to the, to that contradiction. You're right. Absolutely. Is, is absolutely. where, yeah, is where the, um, is where the, the enjoyment is. It's not that I'm enjoying the thing on screen. It's that I'm enjoying right. the thing in my life. And that, and, and I think the, the, the and I have to confront that. Exactly. Like, I, and I have to, confront I wonder, that. I wonder yeah. how you think this, I want to say, ask about a couple things. Sure. I wonder what it, the attitude do you think it takes towards smoking? Cause that's clearly a sign of enjoyment in the yeah. show. And yet, I wonder, does it make us, I think we do enjoy the smoking and maybe it makes us aware of that because we're, you know, we're not used to seeing that in shows anymore because there's this, you know, there's this belief. I think it's probably correct that if we see it in movies and television shows, then we, then we do it. Right. And, and although I don't know, maybe maybe that's false, but, um, well, you know, it's, I think, I think it's not, you know what, every time when I see Humphrey Bogart smoke in a movie, yeah. I'm just like, that's the sexiest thing I think I've seen this week. Right. It's, but but when go. I see it in Mad Men, I don't, there's something about the, um, like if, if there is a point there where like, if you see it, then you'll, you'll do it in the media, which I, you know, like I, I think that there's, you know, there's a studies that like violent video games do not make. Violent right, right, right. You know, right, right, right. right. So that's so why like, I was not yeah, going to say that. Yeah. 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 So like, but if there, if there is a, if there is a piece to, to it that that would be worth, and and I don't know, this it's, this is not worth worth making laws against like like pro, uh, pro, prohibiting smoking in, uh, in in movies or whatever. But like what what is happening is that like the uh, it's distorted, like the way that it actually looks is distorted, and so like you like you have this um, you have this idea of it that is I, I think. I think what people want is they want the preservation of reality, which is that like, if you're doing this, like you're putting cancer in your lungs, that's it. But when you see it on, when you see Humphrey Bogart do it, it's just like, here's looking at you kid. And it's like, you know, where, you know, you know, and and it's just uh, a a means of communicating or whatever. And 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 it's, it's reduced entirely to the aesthetic and like almost like this social communicative, like, like sort of sexy bond. And like, it's not the like, no, you're putting cancer in your lungs. I think that the show, does both like I think it it, it it certainly lures you in with the appeal like the aesthetic appeal right, and sure. then and then of course it gives you the um the 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 the, the cancerous piece to it and I actually I I, I seem to remember I don't know if these two things coincided exactly but I, I I feel like it was a year or two after and this has nothing to do, like Mad Men doing this had nothing to do with this other thing I'm going to talk about but Don Draper publishes that that puts that ad space the out the anti smoking one the yeah. anti smoking and then they get the uh, the American Cancer Society account right like that's right. a much bigger thing that comes in At around the same time uh, CVS a pharmacy in uh, in the United States stopped selling cigarettes because like the the, the hypocrisy like finally the pharmacy yeah. It finally hit them, and I yeah. the, they were there. The two things had nothing to do with each other, like in a causal relationship. But I remember noting that at the at the time, 
that's pretty uh, great. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's pretty great. Pretty so yeah. maybe they watched, maybe the executives. Yeah, the executive watchmen. Watch you know, it's not the, sexy you know, anymore. Yeah. The, the great yes. point, remember the very first episode? I thought this was one of the most amazing things that a, a woman proposes to Don that they advertise. She's been reading Freud and oh, yeah. she, she proposes that they advertise cigarettes directly in the name of the death drive, like put a skull and bones. On yeah, the side. yeah, right. <laughs> these will kill you. And and Don, and, you know, he flirts with that a little bit, I think. And then he's like, "That's too, it's too direct." But I thought, you know, in a way, the whole series is about that moment initially of directly stating death drive, and then and then the rest of the series is all about, in, you know, how we negotiate this relationship between fantasy and death drive right like that i always felt like that was where the series situated itself no no it's a great it's a great moment like early on too where like because that's the um i think there is the uh what don sees is like like that you don't want to you don't want to name you don't want to name the thing that you actually want to stoke Right. Correct. You know, like, correct. like you can't, exactly. you, you can't do that. Like, so, so you can't, you can't, there has to the be drive. some, right. There has to be some, there has to be a phantasmatic screen mm-hmm. for us to relate to that. Because to the that drive, drive. Al- I mean, this is, I mean, this is just straight Lacan, like the drive always misses the, the object. Right. Like right. The, and it's always point. unconscious too, right? Yeah. Like mm-hmm, you can't make mm-hmm. it conscious. That's the point. So I thought it's interesting that that gets even proposed as an idea for advertising, which would be amazing. But then I want to just talk at the end about this, the final episode, which I was going to ask thought, you this. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're sort of, yeah, let's, I, talk, so let's I, talk about the end. Yeah. I really, really liked the ending of season six, which we, the episode we've already talked about, which is called in care of. Mm-hmm. And I thought, at first I thought, wow, they're going to end it with Don has kind of fallen out at work. He's been mm-hmm. put on leave of absence because he, he screwed up that Hershey's ad. And he takes his kids to the whorehouse and then that's it. Like there's yep. this like, I mean, it would end with a with a symbolic death of Don. And I thought, and so it, it wouldn't be the man falling literally, but it would right. be him falling symbolically. And I ah, thought, wow, nice. that would be a very perfect ending for the show. But then, of course... Like most things that went on, and 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 <laughs> yes. then it, the way that it ended, I I have to say, I know that Weiner, that's the correct <laughs> pronunciation, <laughs> um, yeah. that Matt Weiner had envisioned this from the beginning, so it's not like he fell on it. That um, that that Don is in the lotus position at a, I don't know what would you call it, like a, a retreat. Um, Listen, I re- just real quick. I just refuse to believe that. I don't think I. I only in the absolute vaguest terms do I ever think a showrunner knows how the show is going to end because this is how TV is made. Like it is, it is made um, peaceful. You, it is made pe- well. Yeah, it is. You know, it's you're making a garden. That's what it is. Yeah. You sprinkle things, and you don't know what's going to grow, and you don't know what's going to work, and then some things do, and you you go you go with there, and like and people freak out about this. They always want this is a fantasy of like of, of the audience. They want an idea from the beginning that from gets the beginning. realized and in they, the end. Exactly that they want it, and but it's just like you know what happens on TV that doesn't happen in a book series. A character like an actual person might die. Like that happened on to Sopranos. Tony, the 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 act, actor played Tony's mom. She died. She in just life. died, right? So right. you know, or you know what happens? A famous example of Lost. There was this guy who's a critical character. He hated living in Hawaii during the sh- shooting of the show, and they had to kill him off. And it's like that's not a badly written show. Like that's that's how shows work. Yeah, it's interesting you know? that yeah. even even the serial 
novelists did the same. Like they didn't have, I mean, they had a vague conception usually of where they were going to go, but I Mm -hmm. think they would, like a character would start to interest them and then they would develop it. You find this, you find you have to find the story because I and right. I really think like this is a totally consonant psychoanalytic way of looking at it that like the story exceeds you and at a certain port, right. point it starts writing you and you have to re, you have to react to that how well, you are it, being written and that's the, that then then the, the show like I mean it goes back to Dickens even like with like, yeah with, no I, that's with, exactly what I was thinking yeah <laughs> right. yeah well like Pickwick Papers is a, is, a, is a great example Jennifer Hayward writes about this in um uh. A very famous book. I'm forgetting the name of, uh, but uh, that it wasn't until he introduced the character of Sam Weller in Pickwick Papers that it started to sell, and people were really interested in this like Cockney kid, and they wanted they wanted more of that, and so he wrote more of that. And it's not like Dickens isn't a hack because he responded to what right. was working. Is that there was a there was a you know a synergy right between like the right. the, the audience okay. was finding this and then he found this other thing. Like, yeah, okay, I know yeah. that's true, and I think yeah. that's fascinating. I totally agree about television. But what isn't it interesting the difference? You know, Edgar Allan Poe, and I think it's in Philosophy of Composition or one of his. <laughs> yes, his, <laughs> yeah, he says that. the exact opposite. Right, yeah. his point yeah. is you have to know in order to have the effect that you want to have on the right. reader. You have to know exactly the trajectory where your story is going to end before you start sit down and start to write. Yeah. And so I think it's interesting the difference between the short story and the novel. And it does, I think, suggest the 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 consonance between the film and the short story sure. and the television show and the novel, right? Like mm-hmm. that's why, I mean, I think it's probably why they're, like great novels do not make great films because mm. there's just too much in it to to put onto the screen you know like i think yeah. that there's a i think well, there's you know, a it's, way it's yeah. interesting well i was just going to say it's interesting that what we have right now in popular media is a, is a total reversal now tv is released a whole season all at once so obviously it was all planned out on right. netflix hulu right. amazon and movies like Marvel Cinematic Universe, you have 35 or however many films to get up to Endgame, and that told a giant story that they added Spider-Man toward the end. They didn't have the rights to have this character, but they right, added him. Right, right, they did right. two. He was in four movies, two solo, and they, you know, so TV uh, is more like film now, and I think film is more right, like TV in this right. way. I should say like serial, serially speaking, but... Yeah, anyway, yeah, 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 yeah. But anyway, anyway, so, so yeah, it's interesting. The, I think, yeah. so anyway, whether... Weiner had the idea or not, I still think I want to get back to it because I feel yeah. like it's such a – I see what he's doing. He's trying to say that even in this moment where Don Draper's out on a – where what is he at? He's at like a – on a on – a, is it a retreat? It's like a – it's like a, a – Flower child kind of yeah. place, right? Yeah. Like a like a. He's in Claremont. He's with me. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Um, you have the flowers in your hair. Right. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's how I've been uh, doing this. I've got. I, okay. I, I, ex- I exchanged my normal. Uh, yeah, my normal uh, uh, clothing for like a like a white apocalypse robe and flower and, hair and yeah. sitting with a lotus yeah. position. Anyway, the whole time, so yeah. he, he's he's like that, and he and you hear the little dong sound that yep. they play. Mm-hmm. And then the one pl- and then you get the cut to the famous Coke ad I'd like to teach the world to sing, right? And mm-hmm. and that as if he got that inspiration for that while he was while he was actually doing the thing that he thought was the most radical retreat from it. Right. Right? Yeah. yeah. 
So I think that's crucial, that the film, sorry, the, the series is showing how capitalism can incorporate even the thing that seems the most opposed right. to its logic. And I look, yeah, on, yeah, on yeah. one level, I think that's true. Mm-hmm. But, but I do think that's a pretty cynical ending because I think, yeah. isn't the, I think the opposite is true as well. That mm. because capitalism needs this thing that's outside of it to mm. to function, that there are all these moments where we can break from its logic and yeah. and move in a different direction. Yeah. No. 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 Right. You like there needs to be there needs to like any system has to have this point of impossibility that coheres right. it, yeah, yeah, and yeah. that is the yeah. that is the that break is where you know radical action uh, and and like can occur. And, and it's like, repressed, I think, yeah, by the final. I, yeah. 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 It's a really, you know what, it turns into a, like the, the ending is a little bit more Foucauldian, I guess, right? Like I think was, that's right. I yeah. think it's right, Ryan. Yeah. yeah, it's really well put. It's really yeah. well put. So I guess the lesson is watch Mad Men until season six and then <laughs> <laughs> throw away the rest. Throw, <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. Yeah, or watch or only or watch the whole the whole of the series, but, you know, read, read Lacan. Right. Really like like that, yeah. And as a, as an as a as a as a way to to recover from the end. Okay. <laughs> Over and out, right? Over and out. Bye, Todd.